All right, let's get our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. As you know, we are, we're studying the, the topic of hope this summer, and we're walking literally verse, through, verse by verse through the book of, of 1 Peter, and I'm super excited about this. And uh, so hopefully you brought your Bibles, and hopefully you'll turn there and follow along with us this morning. Um, if you were to ask, uh, you know, my staff to describe uh, some things about me as a pastor or as a leader, as a friend, they will tell you that I like studying people. I love studying people. Uh, every few years, I, I, I will give my staff these little tests, like things like strength finders and leading from your strengths, or I'll have them take a spiritual gift test. Or My, my, favorite, my favorite one is called the Myers-Briggs because it, it allows you to, uh, to kind of really get to know people's personalities Matter of fact, I've given my whole family the Myers-Briggs because we've had some very interesting conversations on vacations, just trying to understand each other and, and, and also realize, you know, how we are, so, we are so different than each other. And then sometimes with our staff, I'll shoot them some fun tests. Someone shot me a, a link a couple of weeks ago about, you know, what, what kind of big cat are you? Anybody ever seen that? I don't know if it's on Facebook or whatever, but so I shot my staff this. It's like 10 questions. Amy's a lion. I'm a leopard. I have no idea what that means, but... We're, we are all uniquely designed. We don't look alike. We don't act alike. We have, we have different skin color. You look around, we're, we're made of different heights, different shapes, different sizes. We, we have different tastes in the food that we eat. We, we like different kind of cars. We like different kinds of music. We have, we have different hobbies. I'm into collecting baseball memorabilia. Um, we raise our kids very differently. Uh, we come from different parts of the country. Some of you come from, from, from different parts of the world and so that impacts our worldview let me tell you where I notice uh, a lot of times where our differences really come out is when we have elections like every four years in this country it's amazing how our differences come out we, we live in a time where we're two fully com- committed followers of Jesus that go to the same church can very passionately vote for a completely different political party and feel like we have strong biblical reasons to vote for who they're voting for because we have different things that pull at our hearts. And we, we feel that, that one party addresses those issues and the other, doesn't, the other doesn't address them at all. And so, so we're extremely different in many, many, many ways. But there is one thing that every one of us in this room have in common. We all know what it feels like to hurt. Every one of us in this room we know, what it, we know what it feels like to go through trials. I heard someone say a few years ago, if, you, if you'll preach to, a hurting, to, uh, you preach to hurting people, you will always have a crowd. And I can promise you that in every section of this church this morning, there are people who have been through or are going through divorces. There are people who have wayward children. There are people who have lost a child to death. There are people who have lost a mom or a dad or a brother or just even recently a sister to a a disease. There are people who have been involved in in some type of tragic occurrence. There are people who are are going through extremely difficult financial situations right now. Trials, pain, suffering, they're all common threads that run through all of our lives. And even even though we we process through trials and we, we, you know, differently and, and we react to pain very differently... All of us, I don't care who you are, we shed tears at some point in our lives and we hurt inside when we face extremely difficult times. 
And there's, I promise you, there, there's not a week that goes by that I, I do not receive a letter or an email or I, or I have a face-to-face conversation with, with someone in our church or even in our community that is not going through an extremely difficult time in their life and they feel absolutely hopeless with nowhere to turn. And I'm even going to be bold enough to say that every one of you in this room right now, you're facing some kind of difficult issue. I mean, I know that I am. I mean, I, I joke with people sometimes and I, I tell them, I feel like sometimes my life is like the game show Wheel of Fortune. You've, you've seen that show before? You know, you, you spin the wheel and it, and it randomly shows up on a number. And I tell people there's like six different things that I deal with in my life. Trials, difficult things. It's the six same things all the time. And the wheel spins up by itself. I don't spin the wheel. There's actually a seventh little section on it called surprise. And so it's like there's six things and then surprise. And so it just spins on its own and it lands, randomly lands wherever it is. And and that's the trial that I'm dealing with, whether it's that day or that week or just during that season. I mean, can anyone, anyone relate to that? Trials and pain, they're just like common threads that run through all of our lives. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that we are doing this series on hope right now. Because all of us in this room can relate. We all go through trials, we all go through moments of suffering, and we all need hope. Now, if you were here last week when we started the series, here's how we defined real biblical hope. We said that hope is a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and his presence. Hope is not wishful thinking. And we've had some, a lot of rain here lately, and you know, for you to go, hey, man, I just, man, I'm so hoping that it doesn't rain today. That's just kind of wishful thinking. Hope is a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and his presence. Now, last week I introduced you to the Apostle Peter. Many of you have met him before through your just grown up in church. And and, and we discovered that this was a guy who failed miserably in life. This was a guy who discovered not only God's hope, but he also discovered God's grace. If you remember... When Jesus, after he was arrested and he was being led through the city of Jerusalem, he had previously told Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, just in his personality, he said, Jesus, I would rather die than deny you. And and Jesus said, before the evening's over, you're going to deny me three times. Three times, Peter. And so... As we look at this passage of Scripture and we look at this book, it shouldn't surprise any of us that Peter's the one that chose to write a letter, or God used Peter to write a letter to a group of pe- people who were just in desperate need of hope. We introduced this, this people group to you last week. And in verse 1, Peter identifies himself as the writer, and he says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Uh, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, the people that Peter is writing to, this letter, these are people who are Jewish Christians that have been pushed out of Israel because of their faith. They, They are being persecuted. And just so you know, because sometimes we think, oh my goodness, I mean, we're going through this time of persecution. I mean, Christians really have it tough today. Christians have been persecuted since day one. One of the ministries that we support here at Westridge, and we've actually supported them for years, is a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. And Voice of the Martyrs is a nonprofit Christian organization that is uh, dedicated to assisting persecuted people and churches all over the world. 
And according to Voice of the Martyrs, right now there are 52 nations in the world where Christians suffer for their faith. Many of you have been following recently um, a situation that's been happening in the Sudan where there is a, a, a woman by the name of Miriam Abraham. Uh, she's a Sudanese Christian who just gave birth to a baby. And she has been sentenced by the, 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 the Sudan government, the jury there, the, the government system, to, be, uh, to receive 100 lashes and then to die by hanging. And the whole reason is, is because she married a Christian man and she actually refuses to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, that's going on all over the world. So we need to be praying for the persecuted church. But also, I want you to know that through our church planning efforts, we're, final, we're starting to engage some of these pl- church planning initiatives in countries where people are, are, are being persecuted. Author Warren Wearsby, he, he talks about persecuted people, and, and, and he describes the people that Peter was writing to as scattered strangers. People who were going through a time of suffering and persecution. He says, at least 15 times in this letter, Peter referred to suffering, and he used eight different Greek words to do so. Some of these Christians were suffering because they were living godly lives. Others were suffering for simply proclaiming Jesus Christ as their Savior. Peter wrote to encourage them to be good witnesses to their persecutors and to remember that their suffering would lead to glory. Peter wrote to encourage these persecuted believers to be good witnesses to their persecutors. I want you to think about that for a moment. Good witnesses to your persecutors. Now, it's easy for me to read that. It's even easier for me to preach that. But I want to tell you something. It is extremely difficult to live that. If you've ever been mistreated by anyone or if your kids have ever been mistreated by anyone, I mean, or you've just gone through a tough time, what do we want to do? We just, in our nature, we want to fight back. We want to defend ourselves. We want to take it to Facebook. We want to, we want to t- treat that person just like we were treated. We want to pay them back. And yet Peter is writing to encourage these persecuted, suffering followers of Jesus to put their pain in perspective and to find hope in their trials and in their misery. Now, here's the deal. Very few of us in this room, maybe none of us in this room, have ever truly faced horrible persecution for their faith at least not the kind that we just described. But we all know what it's like to face various forms of trials, to go through pain, to go through discouragement, to go through disappointment and grief. So every one of us in this room, we should be able to to find something that will give us hope from Peter's letters to these early Christians. So right from the get-go, Peter gives these believers some good news. He calls them God's elect, God's chosen people. Now, I love what Chuck Swindoll says about God's elect. He says, we aren't just thrown on earth like dice tossed across a table. We are sovereignly and lovingly placed here for a purpose, having been chosen by God. His choosing us was according to his foreknowledge by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that we may obey Jesus Christ, having been sprinkled by his blood. He goes on to say, God has given us a purpose for our existence, a reason to go on even though that existence includes tough times. Living through suffering, we become sanctified. In other words, we are set apart for the glory of God. We gain perspective, we grow deeper, and we grow up. And I said last week, I said last week as we talked about failures, that God never wastes our failures. Well, I want to say this week, God never wastes our trials and he never wastes our moments of pain. There's a purpose behind all of it. 
Even though it's brutal, even though it's tough, God has a purpose behind everything that you are going through. Now, beginning in verse 3, all the way to we get into verse 9, the Apostle Peter, he gives these believers who are going through a tremendous trial, he gives them hope. And he says at the end of verse 3, which is, let me just give you my translation, may God overwhelm you and blow you away with his grace and peace. And then Peter gives them some truth that they need to cling on to as they're going through suffering, as they face this trial, as they're going through this season of pain. And I want you to write these down. And some of you may be saying, you know what, I'm really not going through a trial right now, so I'm not going to write it down because it really doesn't apply to me. Can I tell you something? If you're not currently going through a trial, you will be going through a trial soon. All right? You know, a lot of people think you sign up for the Christian life, you receive God, everything's great. No, no, no. Suffering's part of the deal. Trials are part of the deal. And so some of you are not in a trial right now, but you will be in the future. So I'm going to give you six reasons why we, we can make it. Six reasons why the Bible says we can actually rejoice in the midst of our trial. First of all, we have a living hope. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter says, listen, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, why does Peter mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, because that's the basis of our hope. And I said this last week, I'll say it again. Jesus Christ is not just our source of hope, he is hope. A living hope is one that has life in it. And therefore, because of that, he can give life to us. Our living hope, Jesus, he has made it through the most painful of trials. He has made it through the most brutal of punishments, the worst of persecutions, the absolute most terrible moments of rejection. And then he went to a cross and conquered death. And if God can bring his son through all of that, and if Jesus is truly our living hope, which he is, he's this living hope that lives inside of us, then he can certainly bring us through whatever we face in this life, regardless of how terrible your situation may be at this moment. But it's important for us to understand that without Jesus, hope is nothing more than a fantasy. It's like, it's like flicking a penny into a wishing well. It's like wishing upon a star. I mean, that sounds good in a Disney song, but it's nothing more than wishful thinking. But the Bible says, because of our salvation, we have a living hope that has promised us, that has promised to be our living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus conquered the grave, he's our living hope. Now, let me give you another reason why we have hope in in times of trial. Second thing is, we have an eternal inheritance. Peter says, he has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is, look at these words, imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, I want to break these words down because they're just, I love them and they're fascinating. Peter, he uses the word imperishable. That means nothing can ruin it. When it comes to your salvation, nothing can ruin it. Undefiled, nothing can stain it or cheapen it. Unfading, nothing can wear it out and nothing about it will ever disappoint us. And then he says, it's kept in heaven just for you. In other words, it's just, it's reserved just for you. Now, what is this inheritance? It's our salvation. Nothing's going to ruin it. Nothing's going to stain it. Nothing will ever wear it out. out. Once you receive it, God is keeping it reserved just for you. In other words, it's a permanent reservation. And I promise you, when it's all said and done, it's not going to disappoint you. Now, I don't know if you've ever 
shown up to a hotel or a resort or anything like that, and you've reserved something beforehand, whether it was through a travel agent or online, and you got there and they didn't have your reservation there for you, but it's very disappointing, isn't it? A few years ago, I was traveling to Orlando and uh, I got off the plane and walked up to this car rental place and I had my paperwork in hand and I put it down in front of the, the, the girl in front of me and she said, we don't have your reservation on file. And I said, but I, I have the paper right here. And we bantered for a little bit. And then the manager came out and I said, listen, I, I, we, I reserved this car and here's my number. And I'm actually a, like a member of this, you know, rental car company. You know, I rent here a lot. And so finally, after looking around, she realized I did have a reservation. And she says, I'm really sorry. She said, we do have this one car. Now, when somebody says something like that to you, you're either getting ready to get put into a Mercedes or you're driving a hoopty. And, and, and I just want you to know, this car that they put me in was a hoopty and more. I mean, it was really, this was a car that someone had abused, abused before I got in it. I mean, it was like somebody took this thing on a joyride, like Chevy Chase in the movie, whatever vacation movie that was. I mean, and so I got to be the next recipient of this terrible car, so I abused it as well. But listen, if you, if you are truly a child of God, you have received God's free gift of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is not only a place reserved for you in heaven, but I promise you that when you get there, you're not going to be disappointed. There's nothing about heaven that's going to disappoint you. It's going to, it's going to exceed anything your imagination can dream up. And so regardless of whatever trial that you're going through, you're, you're listening, your salvation not only gives you hope for today, but it gives you hope for eternity. You can make it through whatever it is that you're going through when you have a future like that waiting for you. Number three, we have a spiritual guardian. Verse five, look at it. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, the New International Version says that we are being protected by the power of God. He's our spiritual guardian. And one of the biggest questions that we ask when we go through a trial, even for us, you know, when we're believers, we'll say, where is God right now? In the midst of this cruddy situation, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my suffering, Lord, where are you? And right here, Peter says, he's right there guarding you. He's protecting you. He's not surprised by what's happening to you. He, he is, he's not caught off guard. You've heard me say before that nothing, nothing comes into your life that does not first go through the hands of God. And sometimes the trial, you know, is, sometimes the trial is actually more than we can handle. And I know that and I understand that firsthand. But here's our hope. Regardless of the pain, regardless of the hurt, regardless of the confusion, regardless of the disorder, regardless of the di- disease, nothing can threaten or weaken God's protection over our lives. When you are at your lowest moment, he is right there. Sometimes he is holding your hand, leading you. Sometimes he is standing next to you, holding your hand, guard, just guiding you. And then there's other times where he is just carrying you. But I want you to know something, you're secure. And not only are you secure, but your salvation is secure during those times of trials and pain and misery. And I want to give you two words to hold on to when you are at your lowest moment of hope. The word accept and the word trust. I know this is tough, but we need to learn to accept the mystery of pain and mistreatment and suffering and hardships and trials. We don't need to try to understand it or explain it. Listen, 
we're coming up on the 10th year anniversary of my dad dying. My dad, my dad drowned in a river in a rafting accident 10 years ago this month. And I want to tell you something. I don't understand that. I still can't explain it. I still hate it. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about it, but I've learned to accept it. And then we have to make a deliberate decision to trust God to guard us and protect us by his power from this moment all the way into eternity. This life is full of pain. It is full of trials. It is full of things that just stink. And I accept that. But also, God, I trust you. And I trust that you will protect me and you will guard me as I go through whatever that wheel is going to land on next. Whether it's something that I know is, you know, something I deal with or surprise. I, whatever's next, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to accept it and I'm going to trust you. We can also make it through our trials and even find joy because we have a developing faith. Number four. Verse six says, in this you rejoice. Now, this is the first of many times Peter's going to mention this word, rejoice, in this whole book. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice that Peter uses, right after the word rejoice, he uses in verse 6 the word though. And he's saying, rejoice, even though you have been grieved by various trials. That means that our joy should be unconditional. It should not revolve around our circumstances. That means that our joy should still be there even when we're going through a trial because our joy is not dependent on a person or a circumstance or anything like that. Our joy is dependent on our relationship with Jesus. We don't rejoice because we're going through hard times. We rejoice in spite of the fact that we're going through hard times. Now, I want to give you just a couple significant things that jump off the page about trials, and Peter's actually talking about these. First of all, trials are necessary. Here's what Peter says. Trials prove the genuineness of our faith, and they teach us humility. Trials bring us to a place of surrender and helplessness. Now, Now, where does that land us? When we get to a place of of, of helplessness, where does that land us? It lands us on our faces before God. How does God look at humility? The book of James says he gives grace to the humble. Where does God want us to be? He wants us to be on our faces before him. And I want to tell you the most effective way right here to humble this rebel heart, trials. The most effective way to humble this rebel heart right up here is trials. What puts me on my face quicker than anything else? Trials. Pain. Suffering. Trials also come in various forms. The word various here literally means multicolored. In other words, our trials come in, var- in, in a variety of forms. There are various diseases. There are various forms of sorrow. There are vo- various forms of difficulties. Trials are different and we are different. And there are, there are some things that cause you great pain that don't impact me the same way. There are things that cause me great pain that don't impact you the same way. We're, we're just created differently. And we also, with that, we need to learn to treat each other and to give grace to each other in the midst of our differences. Now, here's a cool thought. The only time that Peter uses this particular word var- various, where he uses it here, is also in chapter 4 verse 10 when he's talking about grace. Look at that. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. In other words, 
Our trials are multicolored. God's grace is multicolored. Now, what are you getting at here, Brian? There is a grace to match the trial that you are going through today. Whatever it is that you're you're going through, there's grace to match that. You have a specific trial in your life. You're just looking at it. This just wears me out. And God has a specific type of grace to match your trial. Remember the Apostle Paul? He said, he said, I've been given this thorn in the flesh. And three times I begged God, take this away from me. And every single time God said no. And finally Paul said, okay, I accept it. And Lord, I trust you. And God said, my grace is sufficient for that thorn. In other words, God matched the color of the trial with the color of grace. And then trials are extremely difficult. I mean, let me, let me, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice when you're dealing with somebody who is going through a trial. I don't care how old they are. I don't care what it is. Don't make light of it. And then also don't say, oh, oh you know what? What, what? what you're going through is nothing compared to what I've been through. You told, let me tell you what I'm going through right now. That doesn't help at all. Listen, if I'm going through a trial, personally, don't preach to me. Don't start quoting a bunch of Bible verses to me. Don't get me to sing with you. I've had people do that. Just sing this song. I'm not singing with you, okay? I'm hurting. I'm struggling. You sing over there, all right? Here's what I want you to do. Just put your arm around me. Tell me that you're going to pray for me. If you want to tell me you love me, I love that. And if you want to cry with me, that's great if you feel led. We're called to bear one another's burdens, not try to one-up someone with our past burden. And then, trials are controlled by God. Trials don't last forever. They last for a season. Peter says, for a little while. Warren Wearsby says, when God permits us to go through trials, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. If we rebel... He may have to reset the clock, but if we submit, he will not allow us to suffer one minute too long. The important thing is we learn what he's trying to teach us. And then Peter, don't miss this now, he uses this illustration of gold being tested by fire. When a goldsmith or a silversmith, when when he wants to get all of the impurities out of whatever precious metal it is that he's dealing with, what will he do? He'll take it and he'll put it in a bowl and he'll put it in a furnace until all of the impurities rise to the top. And then he'll take it and he'll pour it out into a strainer, leaving all the impurities in the strainer and the gold and the silver will come out. And then he'll look at the, the gold and silver again and he'll go, no, there's still some impurities in here. And he'll put it back into the furnace. And the impurities come to the top and he pours it through the strainer. And he looks at it again and then puts it back in the furnace until finally he will keep doing this over and over until he sees his own face reflected in the gold or the silver. That's one of the reasons the Lord allows us to go through trials. So when he looks into our lives, he doesn't see our impurities. Instead, he sees the reflection of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Seriously. And so God, not only does he not waste our failures, he doesn't waste our trials. Then Peter goes on to say that we have an unseen Savior. Look at verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now I want you to remember what's happening here. Peter Peter is, is telling He's telling these persecuted believers how to make it through trials. He's telling them to actually rejoice in trials. He's telling them that Jesus is standing next to us as we are in the furnace. 
He's with us. Even though you can't see him, he's there. You don't have to, you don't have to see him to know him. You don't have to see him to love him. I remember when Amy told me that she was pregnant with our boys, Zachary and Taylor. Listen, I did not have to see them physically to fall in love with them. I was already in love with those two boys before I ever laid my physical eyes on them. And I want to tell you something. I have, I have never physically seen Jesus before, but I still love him. And as crazy as it sounds to some, even though I have never touched him, I've never seen him, I've never audibly heard his voice, I have given my life to him and I love him. And I go, I've gone through painful trials and in the midst of it, you know what? I felt his presence. I have felt peace come over my life when I have felt helpless. I have sat on this stage before as parents who have just lost a child stand in this very spot where I'm standing and display a courage that cannot be explained apart from the grace of a living hope that is found in a living Savior. See, I don't need to physically see him. I've seen enough and I love him. Okay, I just, I just do. I've seen enough. And then finally, we have a guaranteed deliverance. Verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, how many of you ever have flown on an airplane where you have taken on a carry-on bag? Raise your hand. Now, let me tell you why we do that. Here's what we want. We want a personal guarantee that our clothes are going to go to the same place that we're going. And if you have ever been on a plane before where your clothes ended up somewhere else and you were there for like eight, ten days and you only had one change of clothes, you went out and bought yourself a carry-on bag. Because you know you don't ever want that to happen again. And here Peter makes a statement to these scattered Christians who are going through a horrific trial. He says, when it comes to God's ability to deliver us through trials and even to deliver our souls to heaven, guaranteed. Guaranteed delivery. We have a hope that's greater than our trials. It's a strong confident expectation in God's future faithfulness in his presence. Now I want to close with a verse that just, I, I read this past week, our, some of our staff grabbed it, put it up on a, some of our social media outlets, and it's at the very end of the book of 1 Peter. But I want to tell you something, I love it. You ever, you ever just see a verse and it just, you've read it many times in your life, but it jumps off the page and you just go, I love that. And I've read this verse over and over this week, and it just gives me tremendous hope. And I'm praying they'll do the same for you. 1 Peter 5.10. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself, I love that, he himself will restore you, will confirm you, will strengthen you, and will establish you. The God of all grace will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. In other words, he's going to put you on firm, solid footing. He's going to get you through this. And when you get through it, you're probably going to be stronger than ever. That's our living hope. Jesus. That's our Savior. He's been, listen, I, I don't know what it is you're going through. I don't know what it is you've been through. He's been there. And his promise is, when, when, it's, when you're finished with this, when you, when you get through this little season, 
which will be probably one of many seasons, by God's grace, I'm going to restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. Isn't that awesome? That's a good word. So let's bow our heads. I'm watching some of you in here wipe away tears this morning, and I know there's some hurting folks in here. And my prayer is that God has just encouraged you. I mean, he, you have just, you've seen how God promises to walk with you. His promises for you, not just for today, but for the future as you go through trials. That's our hope. And hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is a strong, confident expectation in our God, in his faithfulness and his presence. Listen, if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, our living hope, and without this morning you found yourself without hope, I want you to know that Jesus Christ came and did something for you that you could never do on your own, paid a price you could never pay. He died for your sins. And because of that, by grace through faith, you can receive God's free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Some of you are going, how do I do that? You come to this place of realizing, Lord, I can't do this. Actually, I've said no to you up until this point. I've rejected hope. This morning, I repent of that, and I put all my faith and all my trust in Jesus. And I receive God's free gift of salvation. If that's where you need to be this morning, I want to pray that you will just make that decision, that you'll let someone know about that so we can come alongside of you and help you to take your, take your next step on your journey with Jesus. For the rest of you, I, I know there's a lot of folks in here are hurting. I want you to go back over and over and over this, this next week, over these first nine verses of 1 Peter, and just remind yourself of what God says about you, about himself, about his word, and about Jesus as you go through these trials. God's in the, he's in the business. He's doing something in your life. Nothing is happening to you that isn't first going through his hands. And he has a purpose behind all of it. And so because of that, we can not only accept him, but we can trust him as we go through it. Thank you, Lord. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.